Hello and welcome to the Everyday Problems podcast, a podcast in which we look to explore everyday problems. We look at everything from mental health to trouble at work to grief and lots, lots more. In this week's episode, Tom and I discuss Johan Harry's book, Lost Connections, uncovering the real causes of depression and the unexpected solutions. This New York Times best-selling book has been lauded by everyone from Oprah Winfrey to Elton John. It claims to offer a radical new way of looking at the mental health crisis that we're currently living through. Before we start, we'd like to also say a huge thanks to everybody who's got in contact with us over the past couple of weeks. Whether that's been individually or through leaving a review of the podcast, both Tom and I are really, really thankful for everybody's thoughts and and feedback about the podcast. It's been great. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a five-star review and share with a friend as this will help us to grow our podcast. If you want to get in contact with Tom or I, you can also email us at everydayproblemspodcast at gmail.com. Right, okay, I'm firing on all cylinders, or some of them, enough of them, hopefully. (laughs) Uh, So you're... So you, you're super busy at the moment, but you're keeping well. Yeah, uh, I think for the most part, it's um, yeah. This bit reading this book's been good actually. It's made me sort of think about some things that I, I think what what I probably said about it before, um, that um, my tendency is to bury my head in the sand. Yeah, uh, when things aren't going, uh, not necessarily aren't going so well, but when I've got other things to focus on, I, I, I'll sort of overly concentrate on them and, and ignore my own health a little bit. And I think uh, this is like just with having lots of things going on at the moment in work and um, personal life and, you know, sort of all, all good things, but just having a, enough of a distraction to to not really think about myself and to just kind of ignore when I get those little signals saying you need to look after yourself a little bit more or you need to make yeah. some time for yourself or you need to just kind of slow down or calm down with, with, with how you're doing things. Um, so it was felt like good timing as my particularly works, you know, really ramped up over the last few weeks to be reading this book alongside it uh to really yeah keep me super aware of my own health and that's i mean that's um you mean you've already touched on something that i think has become a bit of a recurring theme in in these um in these episodes that we've been recording which is sort of finding that that balance between on the one hand not taking too much time to reflect on how good things are is a good thing so in other words distraction can be a really good thing because for us yeah. overthinkers it stops us getting into that um that downward spiral if there is one due but at the same time one of our problems can be that we don't spend enough time stopping to think about how we're doing and that is what can pull us into stress and things like that and, and i think that's that kind of ties in with one of the themes from the the book that we're going to be discussing today, which is for me that you do have a responsibility, even as the slightly beaten and bruised um, sufferer of 
depression and or anxiety and other related low mood symptoms, you kind of still got a responsibility yourself to be the person who checks in with it and manages it. You don't get a free ride and for it to just kind of sort itself out, which is, I think has been an interesting thing that we, we kind of keep dipping into. Shall we, for, for the sake of uh, the listeners, shall we, uh, do, you, do you want me to give a quick synopsis of what the, the book is and what, what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, go for it. Cool. So the author of the book that we are going to be discussing is Johan Hari. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And the book is called Lost Connections. And essentially, it is a book about not leaning too heavily into medication as a solution to depression, but instead looking at areas of your life that need attention. So I, I may be paraphrasing here, but as near as damn it, one of the things that is kind of repeated through the book is depression is not a problem with your brain. It's a problem with your life. And where this got me personally, this was, it was recommended to me by a, a good friend of mine. And when he explained it to me, I think what, what really got to me was I had been of the impression that depression was largely a chemical imbalance thing and that you were just dealt a rough hand in life. Um, you either got it or you didn't. And it doesn't matter how much good stuff was going on in your life that you either suffer with depression or you don't. And actually what the book does is it sheds a light on the fact that this chemical imbalance theory is for the most part based on fairly outdated science and yet it's still largely what is regarded as the truth. So we are kind of using outdated and incorrect um, theories to fuel how we deal with something that actually needs a slightly different solution. It, have I, have I um, broadly got that right, Liam, in your understanding? Uh, yeah, I think so. I guess the, maybe the one point to expand on um, slightly with that is... Um, it's yeah it's not a it's not a problem it's not a problem with your brain but also it's not necessarily a problem with your life it can be that it's broader with that um i think one of the things that uh, that really struck me about it and then resonated with me uh was the the section that sort of talked about um the current model of living uh isn't sort of sustainable physically and mentally uh, on an individual level and also on a global level and that works across yeah. a number of people so it might actually be that it's not um it's not something that an individual is doing in their life but it's actually the the, the models of society around them that cause people to feel that way absolutely yeah I, I found that fascinating and um this is not yet a shameless plug because the book's not ready yet, but I happen to be writing a book on my own experience of that and working in a system that I believe to have been broken for some time, um, which just the, the timing of reading this book and then understanding that I wasn't going completely mad and that it, it, there is actually some truth that today's systems, whether it's the system that you, whether it's the, the culture that you work in or the society that you live in, there's a lot of things in a lot of places in the world 
that really aren't working well for us and that is why there's such a rise in depression and you know linked symptoms i thought that was a bit mind-blowing mm. um which, which is yeah i, I think um it, it's such a clever book and and this i don't want to spoil this for listeners i would urge anyone who's listening to to go and read this book because it really um th- there's a lot of things that i've i've noted down that that i wanted to talk to you about today Liam. but um on the one hand, I think for for a moment, when the the theory was put to me that it isn't purely about a chemical imbalance, I should point out just quickly that the book does not seek to, to say that there is no chemical element. Um, so something that is in your genetic makeup, for example, which perhaps we'll remember to come on to in a moment, it's not denying the fact that there may be genetic elements to whether you have... Uh, depression around you or not but what it's saying is largely that don't don't blame everything on a, a mismatch of things going on in your head that these are things that you can actually take action on and you can fix and the, the first thought I had was it took a little bit of my safety net away because if I can't blame a chemical imbalance for this recurring thing that happens every so often, every few years, perhaps that means I'm going to have to do something about it. And it gave me the responsibility back of dealing with it, which felt like, Oh shit, that's, that's mine to deal with. Now I've got to do something at the same time. When I kind of processed that, that absolute gift that comes with it is the fact that you can do something about it. I mean, it's more difficult perhaps, um, as you say, if you're working in an environment or living in a society where things are systemically not working for you, then that makes it a little bit more difficult. But mm. obviously it, you know, you, you, once you've accepted that, it might just be that you're working perhaps in a place where you don't fit very well. And that means that you can just go and get a job somewhere else, go and try something different. There's always a way out of it. So for me, the, the, the light bulb moment was the fact that actually looking at this as a problem with your environment or your lifestyle gives you the gift of being able to do something about it. That's right, yeah. And it starts with an example of the author, Johan Hari, is on a trip somewhere and again i really don't want to spoil this because it's a it's a great opening but he experiences something which causes him to have to go to see a doctor at this point he's not gone into the topic of of mental health that comes a little later but he is asking for painkillers because he's in such great pain at that moment in time and the doctor says no we need that pain. We need the pain to tell us where the problem is so that we can treat it. Then we'll worry about pain relief. And a big theme in the book is um, Harry goes on to, to look at how much of the message that says tablets, pills can solve your, your problems, i.e. antidepressants, um, how much of that is actually funded by Big Pharma uh, or in other words, the, the huge pharmaceutical companies that make an absolute fortune out of getting people, doctors, customers, pharmacies to buy their products. And the idea that actually, while antidepressants can be a very, very helpful tool in 
I know for a fact that I've known people and even myself, to be perfectly honest, have gone through times where I felt so low that actually a, a short term dose to stop maybe any negative thoughts reaching further and further into something that could be quite dangerous. While that might be helpful, that actually prolonged um, medication on those lines is probably masking the problem. You're not feeling the pain and therefore you're not addressing the thing that is causing mm. the pain. So the depression is never going to go away because you didn't solve the thing that is actually causing you to be low. And I thought that was really, really powerful. Yeah. I, yeah. I'd really, um, yeah, really agree with that. And there's somebody who that, you know, that was um, the original diagnosis that I had I think felt really similar that oh it's it, and and probably I think I think I'm a I'm the same age as uh Harry so must have been a, a kind of popular of the of the time in the mid 90s and being this being a similar age and uh and getting the diagnosis at the similar time and, and effectively being told exactly the same thing that you feel like this because there's an, a chemical imbalance in your brain and we can fix that by giving you chemicals um and to be told that message repeatedly for a long period of time um to to start thinking about that in a different way is a yeah really powerful message but i do also agree um that it it can be quite a frightening one um and that the chemical offering is is a safety net potentially a safety net for a lot of people um and it gives it gives something sort of tangible and physical that you're doing on a daily basis or maybe multiple times a day that could potentially be something that helps manifest the positivity that you get from it because you believe in what you're doing yeah absolutely agreed the it's the the book itself i found and and harry talks through um examples of people who have experienced grief. He talks through people um, having a terrible time that they largely attribute to their work and people who live in places where there is a high instance of um, of mental health problems and things like that. So it's, it's absolutely packed full of real life examples and studies and things like that. And it, it's, it's a really fascinating read. It's also one that I found myself, I wanted to stop it like every 10 minutes to write down a quote because there were so many brilliant things in there. Um, and I just thought that they were, I just thought it was really powerful how he, he looked at, he, he kind of tied a lot of things together for me as well. So he was talking to one, um, a lady who had lost a child and he, he she had sort of come to process it. Um, and he refers to her several times in, in the book. And, there's a um, a line in there somewhere about how grief and depression are really one and the same. And I, I've kind of heard of grief being referred to as something akin to depression before, which I think all of us can do the maths on that. That's not that difficult to um, to get your head around. You're very sad about something that happened. It's it's a intense emotional pain and therefore feel something like what we might describe as depression what i was a bit surprised at was seeing that um being 
referred to in the reverse and that actually depression is a form of grief so one of the one of the things that he studies in the book or, or he talks to people who have studied it is the idea that actually depression could be uh, referred to as grief because you are grieving for a state that you previously enjoyed so it might be that you were happier before you moved to a certain place or before you became uh, entangled in a certain relationship or before you worked for a certain company and it really looks at the the fact that we've got all these many many diagnoses for individual um problems that we may have but actually there's a lot more parallels than we think and and most of the time it's about something that's happened environmentally i.e something that's happened around you that could be the trigger for it as opposed to you're just getting it because it was in your brain and you were going to get sad at mm. some point anyway yeah that's um I, I highlighted that uh, exact same point as well tom um in that section about grief and sort of grieving the loss of the person that you want to be yeah. um and i was thinking when i was reading it i was thinking about it in sort of specific terms in relation to the the kind of current pandemic that we're that we're in and the and the lockdown that we're now thankfully seeming to be coming out of um a lot of the thoughts that i've kind of been having during that period is what i want to do next and the need to do um something exciting and something that makes me happy um rather yeah. than just feeling like uh, just existing really which i think from talking to lots of different people that's how how people have felt about working from home and those kind of limited interactions with friends and colleagues and those types of things um and 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 then i think that sort of in a way been tied for me to um doing something in life that's valuable as well which it, which yeah. it also talks about quite a lot in the look uh, in the book sorry um which is yeah under the sort of current circumstances i think it's important to not not to get buried by that and trapped by it um and finding a you know finding an op an opportunity to to get away from it to get away from it in a positive way in terms of focusing on what you do next rather than that grieving what's gone that's do you know what that's even when i was um going through the book i it didn't click at the time but you just said something that's triggered a memory when when the lockdown first began and the panic first ensued i know myself and, and my wife cara um we we intermittently one of us would be okay and the other one was going down and there was one particular point where and cara doesn't um suffer or she's certainly never been diagnosed with and and doesn't um obviously suffer depression at a clinical level but there was a period at the beginning of lockdown where she really really dropped her moods really dropped i wasn't expecting it because she's generally so on a level and I really didn't kind of see this coming and I, I didn't fully understand it and was obviously trying to do things to cheer her up. Now, Cara runs her own business and at the start of the pandemic, um, we were just starting to understand what it was going to mean to our freedom for a little while for the things we could do and couldn't do anymore. Yeah. And there was also a lot of panic. So initially a lot of her customers um, 
stopped buying quite so much and thankfully in, in time people got comfortable again and, and things started to get back to something like normal over time but that initial panic and the slowing down of trade and the discovering that well it, you know unbelievably we couldn't go anywhere at the time we we almost didn't know whether we were allowed to walk outside of our front doors you know it was really kind of mm. scary stuff already this feels like a long time ago because we're still in lockdown but our freedom has increased so significantly since those first early days and when we we sat and chatted through how she was feeling she eventually touched upon she used the word grief she said i know it sounds really petty i'm paraphrasing here obviously but she, she said i know that it doesn't sound like the right choice of words she said but i feel like i'm grieving she said because we had so much planned for this year. We, we mm. have been talking about me move, leaving my job and starting up um, working for myself. And she had big business plans and, and was going to take things to the next level in inverted commas. She had lots of different things, which at the time, suddenly, it looked like none of those things were going to happen. We had holidays booked that we couldn't go on. It was our 10-year wedding anniversary we were going to celebrate by going away so many things all at once just came to a halt that's never happened to us in our lives before mm. and what she said was i feel like i'm grieving i feel like I, I had so many hopes and dreams for this year and it feels like they've all been taken away from me and they were occupying my my thoughts they were what was keeping me you know happy and, and alive and ready to get up and go each day and that's just been taken away from me and it feels something like grief and I'm pleased to say that she, with a bit of time to process, and she's very, very strong and very wise, she's doing great now. Um, but Good. that was a really, really strong moment for me. I thought how beautifully she articulated that. And then, you know, it happens reading this book that that's, there's a reason for that. It's, it's possibly exactly how, how we've all been feeling, and that, that would explain an awful lot, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, one, of the, um, one of the other things that kind of links quite closely to that is the, I just have to bear with me a second while I, uh, is, is in the second section of the book where it talks about some causes and the disconnection from other people as a cause. And yes. I, I, I found a, a quite a good link between those as well and the impact of loneliness and being alone, that they are yeah. two very different things. Like personally for me, I, I'm quite happy on being alone um, yeah. and I'm really comfortable with it, but there is a result in lon loneliness that can accompany it. And then that feeds into that can quite quickly feel in, feed into feelings of pointlessness in existence. Yeah. So uh, which then goes back to the, um, that kind of feeling of grief about what maybe the person you wanted to be or the things you feel like you should be doing that if you're not doing those, it can feel a little bit pointless. So those, and I think that that was one of the things that drew together how it, how it related to me quite quickly about things that are linked to my depression and where it becomes an existential issue really, really quickly yeah. for me. Yeah, sure. And no, I, I think that that's, and, and I, I realize now we're talking so freely on the understanding that everyone who, here's this we'll we'll know that we're in the middle of lockdown during the coronavirus pandemic of 2020 if we're fortunate enough that we've got people still listening to this episode in in years to come and wondering what we're on about it's that we are still in lockdown it is at the time of recording it is early august 
by the time it's edited, it will be some time after that. Um, and Liam, your, your point, I mean, you, you're absolutely spot on. I think that I also am someone who I do great on my own. And that does lead to me having moments. And no one likes to say, especially when, when you're an adult, you don't like to use words like lonely, but it happens, doesn't it? You can feel incredibly isolated. Mm. And I, I was talking to uh, some some neighbours um, the other the other day in the middle of our village and, and we were talking about the fact that you know freedom is starting to come back and some of them who've been furloughed are getting dates to go back to work and things like that and we all have missed certain things during lockdown so those of us who wanted to travel and couldn't have really missed being able to do that we've all i think missed being able to go to the shops in a normal way yeah but there are elements of it that some of us have taken real comfort from and that those of us who who could quite easily slip into great comfort being on our own not having to socialize not having to to travel or go on public transport and things like that it's going to be a challenge going back to normality and I, I i suppose and i hope that that will be taken care of by the fact that it's likely to be quite a slow phasing process so we, you know we get used to it a little bit over time but i'm mm. i'm right with you i mean i when i'm not feeling great so if i'm going through a, a bit of a, a dip i find it very difficult to find the energy to go out and be sociable and i would say that i've mostly lately been really 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 well really up no no dips at all i don't think that depression i think that i've been conscious that it's kind of there on the fringes i'd be lying if i if i said it any other way but i haven't felt particularly depressed for quite some time yet and yet that that tendency for me to not want to have to gather the energy to be sociable i've certainly noticed that now we've started socializing a bit more again I, i'm like oh yeah but i could just i could just stay in i i could go yeah. out and see those lovely people who i get so much value and entertainment from and you know love and warmth and and brilliance and new memories but i could just sit here on the sofa or on the bed or whatever and that's such a welcoming cocoon i think for for probably a lot of the people listening to this yeah absolutely there was um a thing that mentioned a little bit earlier in the recording that while the book looks at the idea that depression is not a chemical imbalance as as it were it does reference the fact that there are elements of our genetics that may make us more prone to it and i thought this was particularly interesting because i have come to believe in my adult life that depression is more apparent in some families than others that it can be um, a, a genetic thing in that sense and actually it does say in the book that there are and i should have probably written down the science bit for this but i would encourage listeners to go and, and uh, read or listen to lost connections and you can get the, the real information for yourself um, but i i was not surprised to hear that you can have a gene which makes you more 
vulnerable to depression but the difference in terms of whether you will then suffer depression or not is largely based on the things that affect you in day-to-day -day life so you can have the the genes that make you depressed that have come through your family tree unfortunately but you could go through life not really experiencing them but if you are someone who is born more vulnerable to it then there's a higher chance that you're going to experience it and that is why in some families you, you may know people where siblings are are affected by it in a similar way and perhaps parents perhaps even grandparents etc and I, I think it's gone back in my family for quite some way although the diagnosis wasn't there for some generations so it's it's just speculation really yeah i think that's that's one part of the book that i, I did find really interesting and and i did feel that it felt a little bit that's where there, there's probably some criticism of, of the book for me um yeah. in that it in that it does feel slightly flimsy in its argument then against the the kind of more chemical element um of of depression and and how that works and i guess on a broader scale really the you know the one of the big criticisms of the pharma pharmaceutical industries is uh, that they are delivering research or using sections of research that's self-serving sure but i think there's a, a probably a fair criticism in the book that that it does the same uh that it uses yeah. research that is um very much on its side uh, in the way that a lot of um, kind of popular social science books would, would you know, probably be accused of doing the same. And I, I, yeah, I just felt that that was one of the areas where really it could have dug a little bit deeper. That, you know, that's a brilliant point. And, and actually, that is probably true right now. That confirmation bias where we see what we want to see mm. is probably one of the things that affects us so heavily on a daily basis in the way that every time that you go online you're whether you are looking at your emails or facebook or something like that everything that you see is tailored to you in such a way now through you know your your the internet taking cookies i still don't fully understand how that works but what when you're searching for things online or when you're looking at certain websites and, and your computer is getting better at understanding the things that you want to see yeah what it means is that when it plays back adverts to to you or even dangerously things like political broadcasts and things like that it's going to show you more of the stuff that that reinforces the views that you already had or the things that you already thought that you wanted and that is i think you i think you're right actually i think that that, that probably is true in this book that he was clearly um and i've got a huge respect for that there's so much brilliant stuff in in there and i think on large for me this book was a was an absolute game changer and, and hugely positive but i think that you are right i think there has been a big focus on all of the science that proved um his point that it's it's not chemical um or for the most part it's not chemical and that it is environmental and yes that could have been gone into in, in more depth um yeah i think that's that's probably a fair a fair point um, yeah i think there's a you know one of the other one of the other sections that i really i actually really enjoyed reading and thought it was um a great sort of study within the book was the 
the study in Berlin of the, the community that were sort of at risk of being displaced. Um, and he spoke about yes. how these, this, you know, very kind of fractured community that was made up of uh, lots of sort of small minority groups came together, overcame um, a lot of division to work together to be able to create community but the people that he talked about within that study and that that section is focused on are the people that were the outliers of their own smaller local communities that wanted to break out and wanted to come together with other people and for me again for me it wasn't necessarily about um it, it wasn't necessarily representative of it, representative of everybody. So there wasn't anything about the mental health of other people that live in those areas. Um, and really mm. sort of demonstrating what impact that might have had on them. So yeah, while it was a really great study and story, I, again, I, I think it didn't really do anything other than support his own claims. Yeah, that that's quite possible. I, I tell you one, one bit, it probably feels like we're laying into the book a little bit now. I, I don't think that is the case. I think we're both broadly of the opinion that it was extremely helpful. Yeah, but there was, there was one yeah. bit for me, there, there was one particular bit that was a, a bit of a curveball for me that I wasn't expecting. And I, I feel like going back and listening to this bit again, but it's when he starts talking about um, psychotropic drugs um and how there, yes. there was a study on people uh, taking um psilocybin basically yeah yeah, yeah. To, to um to open them up and to to be able to connect with their emotions and with their happier self a little bit more and um do you know I, i'm not going to make any attempt to to kind of um, retell the story of that that bit of the book I honestly think for the the investment of someone's time to either read the book or listen to the audio book I'm a very slow reader unlike Liam so I tend to listen by audio um, it's a few hours of your life for some really fascinating and incredibly helpful stuff but this bit about drugs for me was a little bit odd because there was only a, the, I thought a, a fairly brief mention of the fact that you can have a bad trip now yeah. I um i'm no kind of rock and roller i will speak openly now and say that in my younger years i did experiment with a few things and that does include um certain hallucinogenic substances i'm not proud of it and i can say that with absolute honesty because actually i think for both me and for the people around me that I witnessed, it did more harm than good. I know people who I I think have had lasting symptoms from doing things like that and who did not have a good time. I can tell you many more tales of people having a bad time than a good time with it. And I I would, if you are going to listen to the book, I would just really urge with caution. And he kind of, he does this in the book. It is a, a, there is a a bit of a cautionary tale in there, but it's, I think it's a little bit brief. It it sort of talks about a study where there've been positive findings from people being able to use drugs to, to get into a, a place where they can reconnect with happier places within their minds, within their lives. But, there can be real danger, real damage done there. I have a similar issue where um, whenever I see counselling groups talking about um, mates going out for a pint together, I even feel funny about that because I think alcohol can be such a depressant. I think if if anyone is on a mission to feel better, I would urge you to do it clean. (laughs) 
<laughs> and you know, only if you're feeling strong enough to to really think about going out for a drink and and things like that. But anyway, I thought that was an interesting bit of the book. I certainly didn't expect that for him. Yeah, to it's a bit of a weird conclusion, isn't it, for somebody that argues against uh, pharmaceutical drugs through the entire book to then almost hint that the suggestion is through taking hallucinogenics which obviously there's lots of great research over the last few years as to the impact that that can have for not not just for mental health but a number of other areas like addiction and things like that plus the the sort of growth of the you know kind of ayahuasca camps of people going into deepest darkest peru and um having you know crazy psychedelic experiences but i did find that quite that's some research that I do find really interesting, but I did find it an odd thing for him to bring in, having been yes. so convinced that what he was told about pharmaceuticals is is now incorrect, to have almost yeah. wholeheartedly bought into something that you could, you could quite easily say isn't really any different, other than the people yeah. that are doing the research might be not so self-serving on making profit absolutely i i I agree with that and i I would say on this podcast we try to avoid telling people exactly what they should or shouldn't do and and try to give ideas that people might try in terms of finding a, a more positive way forward the one thing i really would urge is if you're going to listen to that book or even if you're not even if you're going to just um to be inspired by anything we've talked about i i would really really urge caution and in fact suggest staying away from those kinds of chemicals altogether i think that you are possibly putting yourself at more risk if you're going to go down that route that's sort of where i come from Tell you what, though, Liam, I think before um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about before the chat ends today is in terms of having listened to it and and found it useful. It wasn't just interesting for me. It was also I wanted it to be something that I would take away some key kind of goals, some key practices from Mm. and. In the, the spirit of the book, talking about how, you know, don't don't seek to change your chemical balance, but seek to change your life or your environment. I thought that was really powerful. And I thought it might be worth us just spending a couple of minutes talking about any ways that we might see forward in our own lives to, to try and, you know, make a difference. And for me, I've got a real life one that, that has happened very recently and that I'm now spending most of my days writing about which was the move out of my old job and it really it it fits so perfectly in line with the with the book with lost connections for me personally and i'm not suggesting that the reason for me ultimately leaving my job is down to the fault of the company that i worked for there are good people and bad people and good decisions and bad decisions in all companies. But the overarching thing for me, as I look back on this and as I I kind of look at my time in my job and, and my last few years when I was suffering from depression and stress and increasingly anxiety towards the end of it as well, I came to realize that I was just in the wrong environment. I was in a situation that didn't nourish me. I was working with people who 
although I liked very much, increasingly the interests in my life were moving away from things that we had in common. And that probably did lead to a feeling of loneliness and isolation. We had very different values. And ultimately, I became a poor fit for that company and that company became a, a poor fit for me. And that's why I look at, back on my parting of ways actually really fondly. It was one of the best things that happened to me in the end, although it took a, a while to see that. And I would say to people, if you are listening to this and you're someone who is experiencing low moods, maybe take some time to, to look at the things that are going on in your life and and understand that it does come with some responsibility that you may need to actually do something to make changes in your life. But before you get panicked by that, before you get scared by having to do that, just take some time really to reflect, look at all the things in your life, look at your relationships, look at your, um, look at your, your work, look at where you live even, because there may be things around you that are happening that are the underlying causes of your unhappiness. And it might be those things that if removed or if changed, if tackled in some way, you might actually find the space again to become happier or more creative or more productive or whatever it is you seek. I know it's certainly made a world of difference for me. I now don't have currently a wage coming in because I've sought to work on a number of projects which are very different to what I was doing previously. And that in itself is very scary. But I do know that having cut out all the time I was spending in an environment that was not healthy for me personally, I feel fantastic. I, I will still have bad days, but generally speaking, I feel great. So I would just urge people really to, to take some time, even, even get a pen and paper out and, and brainstorm, you know, look at your life, look at the things in it, look at individual people. Is, are there any people that are getting you down? Because it's not, you know, it, it's not unheard of for, for people to lose touch. Um, so really look at those relationships and look at the things that are affecting you in day-to-day -day life. That would be something that I've found useful and that I, I would suggest that people do Liam I don't know if you had any kind of takeaways from the book that you'll be thinking about going forward well I think there's uh yeah definitely a few and yeah for the most for the most part I, I think there's you know some great positive stories in there and and also some really good efforts there to to show connections between people one of the things that stood out that sort of it, it, there's a section in the middle of the book but it link it links uh really closely to the story that you referenced at the beginning of the book where he's unwell and he's asking for painkillers and the doctor says to him, no, we need to listen to where the pain's coming from, not just treat the pain, you know, uh, get to the root of the issue. And there's a, a, a couple of things that really stood out. Um, a conversation that he has with Dr. Rufus May, who says we're distressed for good reason. And, and then a, a quote from... Jiddu Krishnamurti, who says it is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a Sikh society. And I just thought that, you know, that again resonates really, really well that the, the world that we live in is, isn't sustainable for everybody and that it's up to us to obviously do what we can to, to try and make ourselves feel better. But there are some things that you won't, you won't ever be able to fix that don't relate to you that they're not just specific to yourself i guess is the point that i'm trying to make um, yeah. and i think that's that that's where i found commonality with people that feel the same way that i do is that actually there's there's some things that happen in in our society and in the world that that we're sort of fundamentally opposed to and that that's part why i feel like that 
Um, yeah. And then a little bit later, there's a section where it talks about the desire for a solution being personal and private, which again, that's something that I think I've always really tried to think about from a you know personal point of view is this is my problem. This is something that I need to fix with myself. I need to do it on my own, but actually yeah. having that, desire for that personal solution it is really a symptom as well so by being open um you know sharing how you feel using the support network that you've got around you um those types of things will help kind of build a community can help you build a community of getting better and i think that linked really nicely for me that part in terms of um some of the things that we've been able to do with the podcast. So um, yeah. the beginnings of the community that we're starting to build some of the great feedback that we've had about the podcast, but by actually me um, being a little bit more open about how I feel and about my history with my depression has led to conversations with, you know, some of my oldest friends and people that I've worked with over the years were, that have listened to the podcast over the last few weeks and, contacted me and just said oh I never knew you felt like that I wish you'd have said something or you know some people yeah. have said oh some things yeah. just kind of make a bit more sense now knowing that that actually that's that's made me see that there are a lot more options and a lot more support and loving around me than maybe I would have wanted to acknowledge in the past absolutely do you know that's that's a that's a wonderful thing isn't it that I've, I've had very very similar things and, and in some cases I've felt myself kind of having to apologize or I, I probably shouldn't but it, it's the the automatic response when even members of my family have have said I didn't know mm. and they have felt bad because they didn't realize and I've said no 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 you you wouldn't have known you wouldn't have had any way of knowing because I never talked about this yeah. before and it's only over the last few years becoming comfortable talking about it has been so cathartic for me and I think that it's helping other people what people have told me anyway that it's helping them to listen to it and the more we we get the more we normalize the conversation around it i think that can only be a, a brilliant brilliant thing and I, I wrote down one quote from from harry himself towards the end of the book where he said if you hear a voice in your head telling you that we can't deal with the social causes of depression and anxiety you should stop and realize that is a symptom of the depression and anxiety itself. And I thought that that was, he, he was making that point towards the end of the book. And, and what he's saying is if basically, if you feel hopeless, that's not because we are hopeless. It's because you are currently suffering with depression and mm. you kind of need to be able to spot those moments of hopelessness and stop yourself from going any further into them. Because, you know, the moment that we get used to, talking about this stuff and being able to recognize it in ourselves or other people we can stop that that downward spiral and we can actually help to build our way back from it and, and get better um and he he one of the stories i was getting towards the end of the the book and um he had me in tears telling a, a a beautiful but very sad story about a friend who had died from aids when the aids i don't know if they referred to it as an epidemic at, at the time when the the world for particularly for for gay people was felt like the planet was closing in on them they didn't have the same rights as people gay people couldn't get married 
uh, weren't seen as equal citizens in, in most of parts of the world and then next minute there's a there's a thing that comes out that starts that starts killing people and uh, his friend felt hopeless and as a last gesture gesture wrote a book um suggesting that gay people should be allowed to marry and that person wouldn't have had any way of knowing at the time, but that book was instrumental in the change of society in their acceptance of people being able to get married and to, to have more freedom generally. And what that really, the, the point he was trying to illustrate um, was that through having the conversation, through having the the boldness, the bravery to actually start saying things out loud, whether that's writing a book, whether that's having a podcast, whether that is just telling people, telling someone who you know, but you've never talked to about that you experience these, these low mood things or whatever your difficulty is in, in life. It's only by having those conversations that things become normalized and that then we can actually see change in the world. And I found that while it was a really sad story, it just, I found it so hopeful um, mm. that, you know, things can change, you know, whether we've, we've seen so much conflict in the world at the moment and there will always be people looking to be unfair or unkind to other people. But if enough of us talk about things that are important, whether, you know, whatever that, that might be, we normalise the conversation. And in the context of this particular podcast, obviously, on the subject of mental health, is something absolutely we should be talking about. And, and I would definitely suggest that anyone listening to this, get talking, um, get talking. Uh, get talking was the original name for this podcast it was wasn't it? yeah so <laughs> we found out there was a few others uh named similar already but yeah definitely have the conversation and yeah i'm that that's it i'm gonna i'm gonna leave that there on the table yeah i think that's um yeah it's, it is it is one of the the great points of the book isn't it and it as you say tom it is a you know incredibly moving and and, and powerful story but one that has had long lasting really positive consequences and i think that is a a good place to to leave it i guess thanks for listening this week i'm sure you can tell both tom and i really enjoyed johan harris book and have learned a lot from it before we leave many thanks to our patron subscribers who help us keep the lights on everyday podcasts if you'd like to join our patreon subscribers you can do so patreon.com forward slash tom Cornell. we will have a link in the show notes as usual thanks again take care and good luck with those everyday problems